Chapters fourteen and fifteen of Shasta of the Wolves by Olaf Baker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Shasta leaves his wolf kin. The days and weeks went by. By the time the dark blue flower of the canvas had faded and the yellow wild parsley had begun to look tired, Shasta began to feel again the same strange restlessness creeping over him which he had felt before and whenever he turned his face towards the southeast the remembrance of the indian village would sit down thickly upon him and he would stop to think when he remembered the rawhide lariat and the husky dogs he hated the camp but when he remembered with his nose memory the pleasant odour of the burning cottonwood and of the dried sweet grass came to him and made a stirring in his heart moreover the indian smell was there the smell that does not come from cottonwood nor sweet grass or parfletches filled with buffalo meat but clings about even the indian names and is an odor of the old forgotten times as he went along the trails somehow or other everything was different the birds were there just the same the blue jays were full of jabbering talk the crows followed each other from tree to tree always crying to those ahead to go farther on and fastened their food-bags to another bough and the woodpecker hammered hollowly at the hidden heart of the woods as with the birds so with the beasts nitka and shumu went and came on the hunting trails and the wolf brothers howled in the night gomposh slapped the dead logs for grubs and was a silly old bear when nobody was watching but when he met any one he would sit down heavily at once and look dreadfully wise and the weasels went on their wicked ways killing and killing not because of hunger but the blood-lust to kill and the red squirrels and the gray squirrels ran along the tree-tops for miles without ever coming to the ground and the fussy little chipmunks fussed in spite of all this shasta felt that something had changed and that nothing could ever be quite the same again and although the wolves brought him just as much meat as before so that he never went hungry he kept longing for the taste of the buffalo tongue which the indian woman had thrown to him out of the smoking pot the wolves never brought him anything so good as that it made his mouth water whenever he thought of that delicious thing so he wandered up and down up and down more and more restless and difficult to satisfy it was not that he was unhappy sometimes even he was wildly happy running and leaping in the sun or swinging on a fir branch and talking wolf talk to himself at such times the sunlight and the sweet mountain air seemed to have got into his blood and the blue sky did not seem blue enough or the moss green enough or the bark lush big enough to be equal to his joy it was the life that was in him which could not contain itself in his body and kept overflowing the high brim of his heart yet the creatures and their ways did not wholly satisfy him that was the mischief of it there were other creatures and other ways he had seen those other creatures and he could not forget he did not know that they were his own people and that the drawing which he felt towards them was blood and not cooked buffalo tongue when his thoughts ran that way it was the remembrance of the smell and the taste of the new life that was strongest even the memory of the lariat and the huskies could not overcome that 
and as Miko, the red squirrel, was always running along the green roof of the world, chickering and making mischief, and egging folks on to fight, so along the roof of Shasta's mind the new restlessness ran, and chickered and would not let him be. The morning came at last when he bowed his head and obeyed. He stood a long time at the mouth of the cave, looking over the familiar world of the forest and mountain, and the distant shining peaks. Far away to the south he saw a speck against the blue. It moved slowly as he watched. Something told him that it was Kennebec, sitting in the wind. Kennebec had been very quiet of late. Now that there were no eaglets to feed, there was not so much need to go cub and lamb snatching on the mountain slopes. Besides which, he avoided the barglosh. It was there that the creature lived who had dared to scale his rocks. Henceforth the barglosh became for Kennebec a place of danger, and he gave it a wide berth. Now, as Shasta gazed over the wide spaces below him, and up at the rocks above, he looked at them wistfully, as if he were saying goodbye. He didn't know anything about goodbye, really, because the animals never consciously say farewell. They separate from each other because their feet take them, but it is mercifully hidden from them that sometimes they will not return. Something in him begged him to stay, to remain where he was and not mix himself up with the new, unexplained life that was busy among the foothills where there were lariats and husky dogs, and where the creatures walked on their hind legs. Here he knew the world and the ways of all its folk. From the shadowy inside of the cave to the glare of the sunlight on the shimmering peaks, he was familiar with it all. It was built around his heart in a bigness that was home. But now, for some unexplained and mysterious reason, he was leaving it and going to this other, utterly different thing which had bound him and bitten him and had given new smells to his nose and a new taste to his tongue. And he knew perfectly well that neither Nitko nor Shumu nor any of the wolf brothers would wish him to go, just as clearly as if they all sat on their haunches in a row in front of him and implored him to remain. They were all away now, and he was alone at the den's mouth. But if they should come back before he started, he knew that he could not keep the thing a secret from their sharp understandings. They would lick him and rub noses, and look at him out of their wild, wonderful eyes, and say, We know, little person, and then the thing would be impossible, and he would not be able to go. In a moment he had run swiftly down the slope and was lost among the trees. The sun was setting when he reached the end of the canyon towards the Indian camp. He did not go by way of the wolf rocks this time. It was there that looking always had seized him, and he did not want to be caught like that again. So he climbed down the steep sides of the gorge which the Indians call Big Wolf Canyon, and crept out among the high clumps of bunch-grass beside the stream. He could not see the village from here. It was well hidden by a swell of the ground. But though he could not see it, he caught the sounds and the smells of it as they drifted downwind. Presently he picked up his courage and climbed to the top of the rising ground. Here the village was in full view. Soft blue trails of smoke were rising from the tops of the lodges, for the squaws were preparing the evening meal. The camp looked very peaceful, and not at all a thing to fill you with dread. 
nevertheless shasta eyed it suspiciously as a thing full of unexpected dangers which yelped and had sharp teeth slowly he crept forward crawling from tuft to tuft of grass and taking advantage of every bit of rising ground so that he might approach as close as possible without being seen the things he was particularly on guard against were the huskies but as luck would have it there was not a single dog on this side of the camp so that he crept right up to the outer circle of lodges without any mishap it was not till he had reached the inner circle of lodges and was crouching at the back of one of them that he was discovered the one who made the discovery was no less a person than running laughing the ten-year-old daughter of the chief she was carrying a buffalo bag to fetch water from the stream and passed so close behind the tepee that she almost trod on shasta before she saw him she stood still in amazement looking down at the strange thing at her feet shasta gazed at her in equal astonishment but also with fear by reason of his position on the ground running laughing looked taller to him than she really was he marvelled at her appearance and the thing she seemed to have stuck on to her skin it is true she only wore a soft-hand buckskin dress trimmed with porcupine quills and deer bones and had small white shells in her ears but to shasta's unaccustomed eyes it was a wonderful and very dreadful gear as for him he was just as he was and was neatly dressed in his own skin which was a reddish-brown under the fine hair for some time they looked at each other without a sound or a movement then running laughing behaved like her name and told her father big eagle what she had found big eagle was preparing for a religious service in the lodge of the yellow buffalo when he heard that the wolf child was again in the camp he sent for looking always to tell him that his captive had returned looking always went at once with running laughing to where shasta crouched beside the tepee when he came there he did not attempt to touch shasta but he carried a rawhide lariat with him in case of need he did something even wiser he sent running laughing to find shoshani the medicine man and tell him to come so running laughing fetched shoshani and when he came he began to make medicine with his voice now to make medicine with your voice is not an easy thing to do and is only to be done by those who know the forest lore and prairie lore and the secrets of the beasts and shoshani could do this because he was crammed full of lore and his head was bulging with buffalo wisdom and a knowledge of the beasts as regards the beasts he did not of course know as much as shasta did but he knew quite enough to make him wiser than the other indians and directly he began to talk shasta knew that he knew it was a wonderful and strange medicine which shoshani made and if you understood the indian tongue you would have heard many beautiful and faraway things for the indian medicine talk there are many and many words which come a long way from the north and a long way from the south and very far indeed from the east and west from the north they fall as the feathers drop from the wings of wild geese when they come honk honking in the deep nights from the south they are of the buffalo where they wallow by the great lake whose waters never rest from the east they are of coyotes and from the west of the wolves 
and many other sounds there are too and words which make you think of the wind along the scarped edges of rocks and of the rumble of avalanches as they fall thunderously and of the whisper of the junipers when the air creeps all the great wilderness seemed to give itself in echoes along shoshani's tongue as shasta listened a peculiar feeling came upon him the sound of shoshani's speaking affected him as nothing had done before it seemed to rub him gently all over with a soothing touch deep within him something answered to it and was pleased his fear and distrust of the indians melted away under the influence of the voice the look of the wild animal in his eyes began to soften into something that was almost human shoshani saw the effect which the medicine was producing and went on gradually he began to move away from the tepee as he did so he walked backwards keeping his eyes always fixed upon shasta and holding him with his gaze shasta looked straight into shoshani's eyes the eyes were like the voice they drew him whether he wanted them to or no slowly step by step he left the tepee and began to follow the medicine man in his slow backward walk where he was going and why he was doing this he had no idea only the voice called him and the eyes drew him he must follow those eyes and that voice wherever they chose to go by degrees shoshani moved into the centre of the camp shasta following him a few feet away not many paces off the lodge of the yellow buffalo was pitched inside sat big eagle and his braves collected for the sacred ceremony the ceremony had not yet begun because they were waiting for the medicine man to sing the opening words without which the medicine of the buffaloes would not be complete at last shoshani entered the lodge still walking backwards in a moment or two shasta followed he saw the brave sitting on the ground with big eagle in the centre for the moment they were not saying or doing anything there seemed to be a great number for the tepee was full just in front of big eagle there burnt a small fire after shoshani and shasta had entered and shoshani had sat down big eagle took an ember from the fire with the forked stick he then put some dried sweet grass on it to burn soon the smoke of the burning grass filled the lodge with a pleasant smell shasta sniffed this new smell up his nose with delight he watched the grey threads of smoke with wonder he thought they must be the wings of the ember which waved in the air presently big eagle put his hands in the smoke and rubbed them all over his body shasta looked on in astonishment to him hands were forepaws he had never seen forepaws do so much or do it in so odd a way when big eagle had rubbed himself all over with the sweet smoke he took another ember and with it lit a large pipe the pipe was of polished stone and red in colour then shasta saw what to him was the most surprising thing of all when big eagle had put the red thing to his mouth a wing came out and waved itself in the air the pipe went from mouth to mouth as the braves passed it round the lodge and from every mouth as it went grey wings sprouted and went wandering through the air after the smoking was over the ceremony began 
Shasta heard Shoshani make many strange noises and let his voice run up and down as if he wanted to howl. It made Shasta want to howl too, but he remembered that he was not among the wolves now, and so he kept the feeling down. When Shoshani had finished, the other braves went on. They seemed to want to howl badly too. Shasta could not understand how they could make so many odd noises in their throats and yet never throw their heads back for the long, sobbing note. On each side of Big Eagle were the squaws, Lilloet and Sarvis, his two wives. They had rattles in their hands, and they beat them on a buffalo hide stretched upon the floor. The beating was in time to the chanting, and Shasta watched in wonderment at the rise and fall of the rattles, which, every time they touched the hide, gave out a sharp noise. Presently, at a signal from Big Eagle, the rattling ceased. Shoshani rose. He advanced three paces toward Shasta. Then he stretched out his hand and laid it on his head. When Shasta felt the hand of Shoshani upon his head, the tingling feeling ran in his blood and made his flesh creep. Then Shoshani spoke. What he said Shasta could not understand, yet it seemed to him that, as he had once been admitted to the wolf-pack as of its blood, now he was being received into the Indian pack as one of themselves. And he was right in his guess, for this was what Shoshani said. This is Shasta, the wolf-child. I have tamed him, because I understand the wolf-medicine. But he is the wolf-medicine. Because of that, he is stronger than I. There was a pause here while the whole company gathered together in the teepee gazed at Shasta with awe. Presently Shoshani went on. Many moons ago, the Assiniboines, as you know, attacked us when we were moving to the Sakuska River to pitch our summer camp. A squaw was killed, and her papoose carried off. The brave who did this was not an Assiniboine. He was Red Fox who stole the eagle medicine and is a traitor to our tribe. Red Fox went to the Assiniboines with lies upon his tongue, but the papoose which Red Fox carried off was the grandson of Fighting Bull, our old chief, who died soon afterwards. And his name was Shasta, which is one of our oldest names. Nothing was afterwards seen of the papoose in the lodges of the Assiniboines. Why? I will tell you, because its father had been his deadly enemy, Red Fox gave it to the wolves. Shoshani suddenly ceased speaking, but his eyes glowed, and the echo of his voice seemed to run in the ears of the braves, as if his thought, which was fierce and strong, made itself a voice out of the silence. Chapter 15 How Shasta Fought Mushawunk So that was how it came to pass that Shasta was received by the Indians into their tribe and was called by his own name, which he had never known. The moons went by, and by degrees he left off his wolf ways and took on Indian ways instead. He learned to walk upright, to eat cooked food, and to talk the Indian tongue. To learn the last took him a long time. At first he could only make wolf noises, and would growl when he was angry, bark when he was excited, and howl when it was necessary to say things to the moon. But he had Shoshani for a teacher, and Shoshani's patience had no end. 
At first he was shy of the Indian boys, because they teased him when they had opportunity, and their elders' backs were turned. But by degrees his shyness wore away, and he began to take part in their racing and riding. Soon he could ride and run races with the best of them. Also, when it came to wrestling, they soon found that he was more than their match, for his life among the wolves had given an extraordinary strength to his muscles and suppleness to his body. It was in a fight with Musha Wonk that this quality of Shasta's body first made itself known. Musha Wonk was a bully, and one of the leaders of those who enjoyed teasing Shasta whenever they had a chance. So one day Musha Wonk and his companions came upon Shasta when he was sitting by himself amongst the bunch grass of the creek. At first, when Musha Wonk began to tease and probe him with a stick, Shasta pretended not to mind, and got up and walked away. Even when Musha Wonk followed and stabbed him again, he took it all in good part, and caught hold of the stick with a laugh. But Musha Wonk snatched the stick away with a vicious pull, and struck Shasta with it across the face. What followed came so quickly that those who watched held their breath in astonishment. The leap of a wolf is so swift that it must be seen to be believed. When Shasta leaped on the bully, the other boys saw something that seemed to hurl itself through the air, strike savagely, and bound away. Musha Wonk, taken utterly by surprise, went down under the blow. He was on his feet again in an instant, but almost before he was up. Shasta had hurled himself upon him again. This time Musha Wonk seized him before he could leap away, and both boys rolled over together. Musha Wonk was the heavier of the two. He had bigger bones and a more powerful body. If he could have held Shasta down, he would certainly have had the best of it. But to hold Shasta down was like sitting on a small volcano. There was a violent eruption of arms and legs, and Musha Wonk was lifted into the air. While he was still struggling to his feet, Shasta was on him again. It was the wolf in Shasta which urged him to these lightning attacks and counter-attacks which made the eyes blink. Once the wild beast spirit in him was fully roused, nothing could stand against it. The wolf blood raced in his veins, the wolf light flashed in his eyes. There broke out of his throat fierce sounds which certainly were not human. As he fought, he seemed to himself to be a wolf again, with the uncontrollable wolf fury raging in his heart. Yet it was not merely wild rage that was in him. At the back of his mind, he knew that he was fighting for his freedom, for his self-respect. Once he allowed himself to be beaten by Mushawank, he knew that the other boys would have no mercy upon him. The time for gentleness and forbearance was gone by. The fight was none of his making. Musha Wonk had forced it upon him, because he was a bully, and because he had judged Shasta to be a coward. The other boys stood round in a silent ring, watching the fight with glittering eyes. Their very silence showed how deeply they were moved. Though Indian-like, they gave no vent to their feeling by any outward sign. They were like a circle of animals, watching, with a fierce animal joy, a combat waged to the death. And presently a terror, as of death itself, came to Mushawank, the bully, as he fought. 
he had thought that to conquer shasta would be a very easy thing he wanted to give him a good thrashing see the blood flow and leave the wolf boy half dead at the finish but he now knew when too late that he had roused something which was not in his power to subdue by his own folly and cruelty he had drawn upon himself a vengeance which was not of men but of the wolves he ceased to take the offensive all he wanted now was to defend himself as best he could against shasta's lightning attacks it was when he tried to hold shasta that the marvellous elasticity of the wolf boy's body showed itself no matter how musha wonk bent this way and that straining every muscle till the vein stood out on his throat shasta's firm flesh and wonderful sinews resisted every effort to break him into submission he twirled himself into the most astonishing positions upsetting mushawank every time the bully seemed for a moment to have gained the upper hand the fight finished as suddenly as it had begun mushawank had received so severe a punishing that at last he could bear it no longer it was not his body alone that suffered in his mind the terror was growing it was a horrible feeling that what he fought was a boy outwardly only and was in reality more than half a wolf the sudden leap the breakaway the deadly leap again this was how the wolves fought it was not to be met in any familiar human way taking advantage of a moment when shasta seemed to pause mushawank turned and fled towards the camp the other Indian boys looked on in astonishment at this ending to the fight. They would hardly believe their eyes that the big and masterful Mushawank should be defeated so utterly by the little wolf-boy that at last he should flee in terror. They gazed at Shasta, the victor, in awe, keeping a respectful distance for fear lest the wolf in him might turn suddenly upon them. It did not need Shasta's quick eyes to perceive this fear upon them his mind caught it as it oozed in spite of themselves into the air swift as always to act when his mind had once clearly seen a thing he made a quick step forward crouching as if to spring to the alarmed indian boys it seemed as if his whole body quivered with rage in his crouching position it seemed to take on itself mysteriously the actual outlines of a wolf certainly the eyes between the long and shaggy locks of hair shot out a light that was not human but of that deep brute world old and savage in the thick lair of the trees that was enough without waiting an instant longer the whole band broke asunder and took their heels in flight shasta watched their departure with a joyful triumph now at last he had proved that the wolf spirit in him was not to be broken and that those who provoked or insulting it did so at their own peril it was the upright free spirit of the wild and as such it was a good spirit and belonged to the early freshness of the world in shasta it would not attack or injure things as long as they left him alone but once his freedom or peace were threatened then he would resist with all the strength in his power when the last flying form had disappeared behind the rising ground shasta turned towards the trees the excitement that was in him danced and bubbled in his blood he was tired and sore in his body but his heart was high high as the tops of the spruces and the pines 
he felt that he must go tell his heart to the trees he went far into the forest and then sat down the trees were all about him close on every side it was as if they were crowding up to him to hear what he had to say the big silence of them did not make him lonely or afraid they were solemn and yet companionable and full of wise medicine which he understood but could not put into speech the indian camp was very far away now Moshawank and the others were little things that did not matter it was the trees that mattered now the trees and the wolves only his fine ear could have detected that soft footfall coming down the trail and when he turned his eyes it did not surprise him that he looked straight into those of a big gray wolf what shasta said to the wolf and what the wolf said to shasta cannot be set down in words though it was neither nitka nor shumu it was a wolf brother of the three seasons back and the two recognized each other in some mysterious way and so shasta was able to learn all he wanted to know about the den upon the barglosh and how his foster parents fared it was over nine months now since he had seen them but according to the wolf brother nothing was amiss upon the barglosh everything went much as it had gone in the old days when shasta was a little naked man-cub and had no notion of wearing clothes the wolf brother did not approve of the clothing shasta wore though it was only a little tanned buckskin tunic falling to the knee for that was one of shasta's peculiarities that though he suffered the upper part of his body to be clad he would not allow them to interfere with the freedom of his legs moccasins he would only wear in winter when the frost bit hard or in the summer when he had a fit upon him to decorate his feet running laughing had made him the summer moccasins and had embroidered them most cunningly with elk teeth and porcupine quills shasta walked stiffly with a sense of grandeur when he wore the summer moccasins looking down at his feet as if they belonged to some great medicine man or important chief the wolf brother sniffed at the tunic disprovingly the indian smell of it upset him and made his hackles rise so shasta to please him took it off and let him see that it was only a loose skin that did not matter and could easily be thrown away after that things went more smoothly and they talked companionably together in the shadow of the trees and when the evening light began to be golden about the tops of the spruces and the forest to stir and shake off the drowsy weight of the afternoon the wolf brother departed as suddenly and softly as he had come and shasta having watched him go regretfully turned homewards to the camp End of chapters 14 and 15